Good morning and welcome from Oasis Church in Thompson, Georgia. So glad to be with you on Resurrection Day. I hope I'm going to try to depart from the word Easter today. I, I don't expect you guys to do it, of course. I'm not suggesting you do it. It's just that for me, um, it seems like I want to tend more towards Resurrection Day and not so much towards Easter. And so you may hear me say that several times, although I have to say, this is not technically what many people would probably be hoping for as far as an Easter message that I have this morning. As a matter of fact, the Lord's leading me right now um, to, to read this and, and kind of discuss right before we go into it what we're going to be doing today. And it's out of Hebrews 6.1. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary things of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works or faith towards God or the doctrine of baptisms or um, of hands, laying on of hands, or, or of resurrection of the dead or of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And so I pray today that this we will do if God permits. And so I want to tell you that I, I take joy in the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning uh, as we celebrate it all over the world. I think it's a beautiful thing. But for the church, my heart is this for us, that Resurrection Day should be every day, and we are not to really uh, take one day or another day because we don't know what day is our last day. So we should be filled with the resurrection power and life of Jesus Christ every day. And um, so before we get into our message, I want to share with you and enjoy with you today. I would like to just um, bring a word of, of warning to the church, uh, especially our local body, but just all the, all, the, all the churches worldwide, really. These are days that seems like increasingly where we're under great, um, I want to say persecution, but it's not outward like physical persecution where we are at least. It's great spiritual persecution there, there, of evil. There is a tempest brewing against ministers, against the body of Christ. In the USA, um, many ministers are under tremendous spiritual attack, demonic attack, evil attack. And we feel it tremendously as well. Uh, we've seen it. Almost everyone involved with the ministry has been attacked one way or the other uh, in the spirit. And I want to encourage all of the church members to be in prayer. Stay in prayer. It's easy to be tempted into thinking it's a beautiful day outside. And quite honestly, it may be where you are. And, 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 but just remember this, that there are things going on in the unseen realm. And the time is short. We've known that since the beginning of what we call the New Testament era. And if the time is short, then we know that Satan and his uh, forces... I don't want to give him a whole lot of credit. Satan and his forces are arrayed against the church. They're working day and night. He never sleeps to discredit ministers, to discredit ministries, to discredit you and your job, your family, your, uh, your, your ability to be a, a husband or a wife or a child in the household, uh, your ability to lead or to follow in whatever organizations you're in. And so it's a time to stay filled with the Spirit of God, to, to listen more than we speak. It's a time to be watchful. Um, we should spend much time in the Word of God, much time in prayer, much time listening to inspired preaching, teaching, uh, prophecy, those type things, and be filled with the Spirit of God at all times. We should exhort one another. This is, these are the times that I believe Apostle Paul was talking about because he thought 
that the time he was in was this time. Um, they really thought, and really it has been, and now though things are speeding up, and we're seeing that. And wherever you are, whether you're in New Jersey or uh, Texas or California or where, you know Michigan or Georgia or Florida, or whether you're even in Holland, or, or I think we had some uh, people watching in Holland at one point, whatever it is, wherever you are, the body of Christ is one, our Lord is one, he's with us, we need to stay mindful of him and pray for one another. Um, I just wanted to say that the people in our local fellowship know, I mean, I've not spoken with many of you because of the uh, stay-at-home order, but you know in your heart, many of you, that it's been a time of, of, of just persecution, and not necessarily, again, physical persecution openly, but spiritual persecution behind the scenes. So just know that we're all uh, enduring those things, and we're all going to be victorious. Praise God. Praise God. Now, if you will, join me. Let's pray this morning. Father, we welcome you in this place. It's your place, but for our part, we welcome you. We want you here. We love it when you're here. We thank you that where, where we are joined together, you are in our midst. We honor you this morning with our hearts, thanking you that you've remade us that we've been born and regenerated of your spirit into kingdom, kingdom children, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we praise you for it, thanking you through Jesus Christ, the one who died and made a way. Father God, no one could have imagined the greatness of your plan, and yet we see it laid out in your word, and it's beautiful to us. And we just proclaim your greatness right now to the nations that no one is like you. No one is wonderful. No one is loving. No one is always righteous, always true. No one but you. And on this day when we celebrate the resurrection of your only begotten son, that death could not hold him, that death was defeated in his face. And we know your word says that he led captivity captive. Lord, we just praise you for that, thanking you for that this morning, that the captivity of death, hell, and the grave were led captive by Jesus Christ. And we have great hope in that. And we thank you for what you've done for us in so many different ways personally as well. In the name of Jesus Christ, King forever, amen. I want to talk with you today about Christ, our image. Now, re remember what I read a minute ago from Hebrews 6 is that we're going to go on unto perfection. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect in a few minutes, but it means the church is going to continue on until the perfection of the oneness of the man of Christ is manifest in the church as a whole. And we're going to do that by setting aside or setting aside the things that got us here, and we're going to continue to move forward. So I want to talk with you today. And for those of you who are, who are, who are regular attendees here at Oasis, our meetings, and uh, you're going to have heard this so many times, you're probably going to think you, you, you can't hear it again. But this is what the Lord gave me, and I, I want to be, uh, be obedient to what he's saying. So stay with me. It may, it may very well impact you. I pray that it does. Um, so first of all, 
Christ our image. I want to, if, if anybody hasn't heard this before, when I say our image, what I mean is, if you were, he could be our template. He could be the template or the pattern that we are to follow. And a lot of people may not understand this, may not agree with it, but I'm going to prove it biblically and I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. Um, but let me just say this. Jesus came as a servant. Now, he, 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 it's interesting. He, he took on two images while he was on earth. The first image we want to deal with is Jesus, the image of God. Now, in John 1, I'm going to turn there. John 1, we begin to see that Jesus is the image of God. I'll never forget, I was in a meeting. I was actually teaching Bible in this meeting in a church. And I was talking about the will of God and that it was God's will that this or that or thus be done. And I had a lady near the back of the room and, and she raised her hand and she said, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, I'm just a person. How can I know the will of God? And she said, that's, that's like impossible. And I, it, it had never hit me that somebody might feel that way. But what we know from Scripture is this, that if we want to see the will of God, all we need to do is look at His Son, Jesus. Because Jesus represented the image of the unseen God to us on the earth. And I'll go so far as to say, that's why God is so against man making and especially worshiping any other image. When man made the image of a calf, or man has made the image of a serpent, or man made totems, or, you know, which are basically the same as Asherah poles. <laughs> you know, they've, been, they've existed since, you know, the, the, the Assyrian, the Egyptians and all. And when we, when we make images of sun or moon or just any kind of bird or any of those things and worship them, we're missing the point. The image of God is not something that you look at that's made by hands. The image of God is God in us. And God wants his image to be shown through his people. So what God would say to Christians on Easter morning is something much like this. Okay, you're excited at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're excited and you believe Jesus is resurrected, don't just tell me about it. Show me. Show me his resurrection in your life because Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father and you are my image. So it's not about pointing to a cross or pointing to something, pointing to our church, pointing to the steeple, even pointing to praise and worship, different things. It's about the image of Christ in us. And I, let, me, let me go into this because this is what it says in John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time. That includes Moses. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, that means who's, you know, in the heart, has the heart of the Father, He has declared Him. So if we want to see God, as Moses said, Lord, show me your ways, He wanted to see God, but Moses couldn't see God because He wasn't born of the Spirit. And I won't go into all that, but he would have been destroyed had he seen the pure holiness of God. But 
And it, it would do the same thing to us, by the way. That's why Jesus came to reveal who God is. If you want to see the will of the Father, you have to look at Jesus. Now, Christ, our image. I want to go on into it because first thing he did was take on the image of the Father. Colossians 1.15 says it like this. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's a direct quote. Colossians 1.15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So if Jesus is the image or likeness or the pattern template of God, how God is, would be on the earth, then what we know is the things Jesus did is the things God would do. So Jesus is the will or the counsel or the image likeness of God on the earth. So Hebrews 1.3 tells us yet again, now we have three witnesses here that if we want to see Jesus, he's the image of God. If we want to see God, Jesus is the image of God. Hebrews 1.3 says this, that Jesus is the express image of the person of God. So if we want to see what God looks like, the person of God, who he is, what he's like, then we need look no farther than his son Jesus and the things he did and the things he said and the way he acted because he is the express image of the very person of God. So Jesus took on the image of God. Now that sounds weird. Some of you would say, well, he is God. He didn't have to take on that image, but he did. He did take on the image of God. He took on the image of God the way a man would take on the image of God. Now, I want, to, I want you to see, first of all, that Jesus took on the image of God, and then secondly, that Jesus took on the image of man. Now, we'll turn there to Philippians for this. And there we are. Philippians 2. Jesus taking on our image, or the image of man. Now, in Philippians 2, it says this, Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, didn't consider it something to be seized to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So that's the likeness is image. Okay, he came in the, the form of a bondservant, the likeness of men, and even submitted even further unto death. But he took on our image. Jesus took on the image of men, which means he became flesh, just like we are flesh. Jesus became flesh, just like we are flesh. Now, it says he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death of a cross. Okay, so basically, though Jesus was being in the morphe or form of God, he thought it not something to be held on to being in the form of God, but instead humbled himself, made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of or morphe of a bond servant, just like us, right? And coming in the likeness of men, and that means likeness means to be made in the image of, so he took on the image or the flesh of men. And if you want to know how serious God is that that took place, it's really important that everyone in the church should understand this you want to know how serious it is that we believe that Jesus did give up that fullness? Uh, 
at least while he was on earth, or what we think to be God, the glory of God, so to speak, that's the way we judge what is of God and what isn't. Understanding that principle and being right on it is how we judge what is of God and what is of Antichrist. And that doesn't necessarily mean against Christ, by the way. Anti in Greek means in place of. So there's a religious system called a church that tries to lift itself up in place of the true church. And they've created a Christ in place of the true Christ. So we have to be very careful about that. And just read scripture and go by scripture instead of by what men say, basically. But what scripture says is, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirit, whether they're of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. There's one way you know the spirit of God. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Instead, this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. So I want to I just caution you if you're hearing this for the first time. Understand, understand, understand. So many times in churches we were brought up and we said, the way you know that somebody's of Christ is if they'll tell you that Jesus Christ is God. I mean, I must have heard that a thousand times growing up as a little kid. The way you know something's of Christ is if they'll tell you that Jesus Christ is deity. Jesus Christ is of God. Jesus Christ is God. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is God. But that's not the way you know. The Bible states that the way you know is that you understand that Jesus Christ came to earth fully as man, as flesh. That Jesus came in the flesh. And when it says he came in the flesh, it means that all the potential ailings and failings of the flesh were fully available to him. That means sin. That means sickness. All of those things were fully available to him, just like they were available to Adam and Eve in the beginning. It's not a sham. He literally came in the flesh. So having set that forth, we begin to understand that Jesus definitely became, he came in our image. He became our image. And so having seen that, let me give you some examples now that prove this out. And I'm going to go to Matthew 3.15, and I hope you'll turn there or scroll there in your phone while I'm going. I know it takes a minute, but I feel like we really need to become familiar with God's word. And by practice, we need to know where things are in it. And I want to I see this, show you this. Jesus took on our baptism. He took on our image. He took on the image of man. And in doing so, he had to be baptized. Now, understand, Jesus never sinned. So baptism for the remission of sin shouldn't have been in his future. But look at what he says. Um, in verse 13 of Matthew, Matthew 3, it says, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan River to be baptized. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said, Permit it to be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed Jesus, and he baptized him. Now, we, we begin, we, we say, all right, necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Understand, the righteous part of it is that Jesus had come in the flesh 
and become the template or the image of men. And because he had come in the flesh fully and become the image and template of men, baptism was a part of his righteousness. It was necessary to fulfill all righteousness because in fulfilling his righteousness through his death and resurrection, he would fulfill ours. So it was necessary, fully necessary for him as a man to fulfill all righteousness. And so, again, he's taking on our image. Another place, Jesus took on not just our image through baptism, but he took on our image at the cross. Uh, Romans 4.24 tells us this, and it tells us about the cross and the situation there. I want to read this to you really quickly. And at the end of verse 24, it says, uh, In him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, Jesus our Lord, Verse 25, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So Jesus took on our offenses. He was delivered up because of our offenses. He took on our image. And he was raised, which we're celebrating today, in the image of us. Look what it says. He was raised because of our justification. If Jesus hadn't been born again and raised from the dead, we could not be. Jesus is the image that God is molding us into. But first, he took on our image so he could die in our place. This is very important that people understand this. Jesus took on our full image so that we could then take on his. He took on our full image so that we could then take on his. The next place, and I, I'm not going to turn there because we're going to try to speed up a little bit, but it's Galatians 3.13, where we learn that Jesus took our curse. So we are no longer cursed, even though we, didn't, we weren't able to keep the law of God. We weren't able to keep all the commandments. Galatians 3.13 says that Jesus Christ became a curse for us. In other words, in our place, our curse was placed on him. There again, he took our image. And Isaiah 53 tells you, if you read the whole chapter of Isaiah 53, it grows into great detail showing that Jesus bore our sins, our sickness, our iniquities. He took on our image. Not only did he bear the image of God while he was here, but he took on our image as well. So I want us to see this. So what's, what's, what's the crux of it then? Jesus came and took on the image of God and revealed God to us. He was the express image of God. At the same time, Jesus took on our image. What's the crux of it? He took our image to give us his. Jesus took our image to give us his. Now, uh, I'll get into this with you in just a minute in more detail, but I want to prove this first. So I'm going to go to Romans 8, 29. If you don't believe that the purpose of God was that the church would bear the image of Christ, then you probably never read this. And this is what it says. Speaking of God, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined, that means did all the work necessary beforehand, okay? For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that his son, or he, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus was revealed 
so that and and live the life he lived so that we might can be conformed to him his image that's the purpose of god is that all of the people in the church all of god's children be conformed to the image of christ um i want to go to another place i'm gonna go to romans 6 4 read you another one as soon as i find it therefore we were buried with christ through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. You know, if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, he took on our image to give us his. If we've been united in the image of his death, Certainly, we also shall be united in the image of his resurrection. Amen. That's wonderful news. So, he took on our image to give us his. Now, I want to talk to you about this time because there's time spoken of right there in that verse. And I guess I should point that out a little bit more, a little bit better than I did. So, I just want you to see this. Um, in verse 5, if we've been united together in the image of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Speaks to two things. Past tense, when we were born again and baptized, we were united in the image of his death. In other words, he, he died the real death, and through baptism, through faith, we are baptized into that death so we don't have to die. Okay? And so, and that, I'm talking spiritual death here. So the point is, that was a past tense thing. And the other part of the verse is dealing with resurrection, kind of what we're celebrating today. Um, just as he was raised from the dead by the Father, we also, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's speaking to the future. So you have the new birth experience in the past and the future of resurrection. This is where we are right now, today, celebrating Jesus' resurrection. We're in the middle. For those of you who are born again of Jesus Christ, we're in the middle. We've been united in his death. In new birth, we've been given life. And now we shall be united in his resurrection. But right now, we're in what I like to call the earthen vessel stage. We're jars of clay. So what's so important? Why didn't Jesus just, when people are born again, why didn't he just take them out of the earth? Why didn't he just have everyone die a natural death as soon as they're born again and take them right on up to heaven? Because he has a purpose in this middle time that is extremely important for everybody. And it's the purpose in this middle time that's changing the world. It's the testimony of the people who are in the earthen vessels that, are, that can change the world and bring new people to Christ. And that's why it's so important. And I would go so far as to tell you, you know in your heart it's not your will that God would take you out of the world if you're serving him during this time because you're exactly what he needs in the world during this time and I just want to I just want to suggest that to you um, 
we were talking last night and we hear so many people say that and, and and again this is not to condemn anybody but just just hear and see on social media and everything so many people say that you know i'm not going to leave until god's ready for me but when he's ready for me i know i'm going to go it doesn't really matter what i do when i when he's ready for me i'm going to go and i want to say to you first of all you know that's not true most of you i believe all of you and second of all it's not scriptural there are so many evidences of Scripture in prolonged life through different things. There are, there are evidence of Scripture where God sent for someone, sent a prophet to tell him to get his affairs in order, he was going to die. And he prayed and reminded God of his righteousness, and God gave him 15 more years. So there are many examples of prolonged life, and there are many examples. You can read 1 Corinthians 11, the last part, and it says, because people would not judge themselves or because they wouldn't examine themselves, they were judged by God, and many have fallen asleep and are sickly so we begin to understand that but i just want to say this to you our experience mostly with people has been if i get sick i'm going to go to every doctor i can get my hands on and try my best to live no matter what it takes anything i can afford sometimes even beyond what i can afford i'm going to do and you know what they then will say is but if it's my time to go i'm ready to go is that really true? Is that really? I mean, that's what most Christians that I've met say, but I, I just want to share this with you. Is that really true? If, if you're going to say to me, when God's ready for me, I'm just going to go, then why go to the doctor? If he's not ready for you, you're not going to go, right? Obviously. And if he is ready for you, you going to the doctor is not going to make any difference, Right? So that's what comes out of our mouth, but it's not really what we are believing. What people are really saying is, I'm going to try my best to live as long as I can, no matter what's going on. And if God wants me, he's going to have to kill me. I'm going to go to every doctor, take every medicine, take every treatment. Most people are saying that. And if it's God's will that he really wants me dead over and above everything I'm trying to do, then he'll just have to kill me. Most people are literally saying God's going to have to kill me to get me. They're not saying I'm in his hands because if they were, they would just resign themselves to his will and wouldn't worry about it. So I explain that and expose that to let you know that many times we really don't know what we're saying and we haven't really looked at what we're saying we believe and what we're grounded in and it doesn't make any sense at all. Because if you're truly saying God's going to get me when he gets me, he's, when he comes for me, I'm going to go, then you don't need to take any medicine. You're ready to go. But what we're truly saying is we know we have a responsibility in it. And we know we have a responsibility in prolonging our life through faith or through faith plus medicine or whatever it is. And so honestly what people are saying is they know it's God's will that they remain here and finish out their obligations. So I want to get that out there so you know and I know that you know that what we're really saying is we know we have a purpose and that we've been called to fulfill a purpose. Even if it's down in the subconscious and the inner man, we know we have a purpose and we know that God has a plan and a reason for us. Everyone down in the middle knows God has something for me. I exist for something. Now, it may be covered up. 
They may have been abused verbally over years and years and years and not allow that to come out, but in their inner man, they know. So let's begin to talk about this. If you'll, if you'll come over here with me. I want to talk about God's threefold redemption. We call it here at Oasis the trifold redemption of man. And it, it really is important to understand this because you understand the three stages in which God redeems you. It makes sense why all the things happen that happen. But we're not going to go into that today. If you want to see that, I'll try to link our teachings on those things so that you'll understand why you're born again, why you still sin even though you're born again, and are you saved even though you sin. This teaching answers all those things and explains why people do what they do, why the devil does what he does, why he's able to do what he does still to us even though we're born again, all of these kind of things. But for our purposes today, I just want to say a few things. The redemption of man is in three stages. We are just as God is. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit. We are spirit, soul, and body. We are three in one, and He is three in one. We're created in His image. He's three in one. We're three in one. So our three is spirit, soul, and body. Spirit is the part of us that can most readily identify with God. The Bible says God is spirit. So he gave us a spirit so that we can worship him with him and commune with him in spirit. You know, he told the woman at the well, it won't matter at one in one point, and it's real soon, whether you worship in Jerusalem at the temple or on the mountain. What will matter is that you worship in spirit and in truth because those are the worshipers the Father seeks. So spirit is very necessary. The second, of course, being soul. The third being body. I want to go through these really quickly and point to a few things so that we begin to see. Because we are right here, right now. Spiritual redemption is the first redemption. Jesus described this redemption to Nicodemus in John 3. You can go read about it. Jesus told Nicodemus that a man had to be born again, that is, reborn to even see the kingdom of God. He had to be born again. What he was talking about is that a man's spirit had to be reborn or regenerated to God. Our spirits die when we first, at a young age, understand what sin is and sin anyway. Our spirits die. That is, they're disconnected from God. It doesn't mean we die. It means the spirit becomes dead. It can no longer commune with God. And Jesus was explaining this to Nicodemus. He said, the first step you've got to take if you want to understand the kingdom of God or even see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. So this takes place in an instant. At the moment we confess Jesus Christ, as the Messiah. In other words, the person who died for our sin and came to reconnect us to God. At the moment we truly believe that in our heart and confess it faithfully, under, whether even if it's under our breath, if we confess it with our lips, immediately upon that going forth, that, that's a legal declaration in creation. And men are given mouths and the ability to speak just as God was because we are legal declarers on the earth. And so that's our status. We are created in the image of God. God was a speaker. He legally declared things and they became so. And his intent for us was to le legally declare things and they become so. And so when we do that, the Spirit of God 
comes into us and regenerates our spirit, the two are connected. And the spirit of God comes at some level to live in us. In other words, we become spiritual again and can hear from God and begin to understand God. At that point, we're reborn as sons. And so the first redemption is new birth unto sonship. We become children of God again. And that happens, like I said, when we're first, what many people call saved. Now, it's not being saved. The whole process is being saved. But over the years, unintentionally, church people perverted it to call this salvation. And that many people called this sanctification or some portion of the soul being sanctification, but it's all salvation. All of it. There are just three steps to salvation. And so the first salvation, and by the way, this is citizenship in heaven. When you achieve this first level of salvation you, and, you, and you die a physical death, you'll go directly to heaven. So when you're regenerated, you have citizenship by the Spirit in heaven. Now, the second one is where we are now. It's the redemption of the soul. This is detailed in Romans 12. I'll go there. I want to read to you a little bit of Romans 12. It's also spoken of in, lot, in other places, but it's most clearly in Romans 12. It's in Ephesians as well. And this is what we're taught in Ephesians, in Romans 12, 1. Excuse me. Apostle Paul writing says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your soul is your mind, and that's your will, emotions, and personality. The second part or the second step of God's trifold redemption of man is the redemption of the mind or the soul. And the redemption of the soul goes like this. The soul is renewed unto transformation. The soul is renewed unto transformation. Now, there's, there's a very important part of this that I want to make sure I don't miss in case you haven't heard this. When you choose Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit regenerates you and you are born again fully. Your spirit is born again. You're alive to God. You don't have to do anything else as far as that goes. Now, we are encouraged to pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is being filled to overflow. But you're fully God's at the moment that you choose Christ. However, this, the redemption of the soul, involves the person in great measure. And I want to read this again to you because it has an implication and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That has an implication for you. And you do not be conformed to this world, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what's God, what, what is God's good and acceptable and perfect will for you. Okay? So... This involves you hugely. You are in charge of renewing your mind under transformation. 
You are in charge of it. And I want to make sure everybody listening to this message on Redemption Sunday understands this. To the degree that you study the Word of God, to the degree that you choose because your mind is your choice center, it's the place where you make decisions. It's the place where you decide to let your emotions override you or to bring them into self-control. It's the place where you decide to believe what's revealed to you by the Spirit or not. It's the place where you decide to walk by faith or not. It's the place where you decide to sin continually in the flesh or do your best to put that under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's your decision center. And you have been called, Romans 8, 29, to be conformed to the image or the likeness of Christ. Now remember, Christ is our image and we're called to be his image. This is how it'll be done. The Spirit does many things for us and being born in the Spirit makes us partakers. It says we've received the Spirit that we might know the things that are freely given us by God. That's 1 Corinthians 2.12. We've been given the Spirit of God so that we might freely know, I mean that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. So new birth is so we can know. It gives us revelation, some degree of revelation, okay? But renewal of the soul, redemption of the soul, is where we come in agreement with what has been revealed. These two will produce the image of Christ in us now, in earthen vessels. And that's what's so important. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, this is where we read about this. And I want you to know how important it is. Because we see people that say, wow, we've been saved Oh, thank, thank God for his resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I can't wait. And there are all these songs written about when we all get to heaven and all that. And it's going to be glorious. But God is seriously concerned with what we're doing right now. He's seriously concerned with whether his church is being conformed to his image right now. Because his image right now is what other people are looking at to see whether or not he's real. To see whether or not he's worth following. And that image, if it's perverted or not, not shown is ineffective. So I want you to know this. Now, um, 2 Corinthians 4, stay with me, 7. I want to start there. God's speaking of the glory that's shown in our hearts. And he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, some translations of your Bible say jars of clay. Adam, Adam means red dirt. The first man was taken from earth. He was made of earth. We have the treasure, that is the glory of God, the light that shines out of darkness that he's placed in the inner man. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's the body. And the reason it says is so that the excellence of the power of God, re ready? The excellence may be of God and not of us. So he goes on to say, for we who live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. In the middle time, before the redemption of the body. Now, I, I wanna, I'll, I'll, I'll mention that just for a second. The third redemption, since we're close on time,
is the resurrection of the body or the redemption of the body, we should call it. And it comes through one of two ways, either transfiguration or resurrection. There were men that were transfigured. That is, they were changed without ever dying a physical death. So that's one way. And the other way is to your physical body to fall off and you go to heaven, and then at the general resurrection, you be raised again. Now, the end to that is you're either transfigured or resurrected to immortality and incorruptibility. And at that point, you're no longer mortal. Death has no hold over you, and you're incorruptible. You cannot be corrupted by sin. You're, you're like God. You're like Jesus at that point. And then we bear his full image. And that, by the way, is the, the fullness of salvation. Salvation actually entertains all three. The spirit being born again, the soul being fully transformed to the image of Christ, and the body then being redeemed to immortality and incorruptibility. But in the meantime, in this middle time, when the body is being delivered up to death daily, it's important that we understand that the reason is that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. This right here, renewing the mind to the truth given us by the Spirit in agreement through faith will cause the life of Jesus to be manifest in a mortal body. Guys, if you believe in the resurrection, then we should see it in our lives. Because the resurrection brought us to this point. We haven't had our resurrection yet. We're in the middle time. That's the same time when Jesus ministered while he was on the earth. Think of all the things he did. Think of all the things he was able to do while he was there. Now, I just want to hurry and give you a few examples. The number one is in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. And we may have to make several installments of this because it's taken a while to even get us here. But I just want to read you this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I'm going to stop there and just expand on that for a second and we'll be done for the day. But I want you to hear me on this. Every spiritual blessing. We tend to get faked out by the word spiritual thinking that means that they're in heaven. They are in heaven, but they're spiritual. That's a key because we received a spiritual regeneration first thing. That means that everything we've been given, all of the spiritual blessings were ours at the first point. Why do we not always see them? Because we have not renewed our minds to transformation. That is agreement that we should meet the image of Christ. We have not spent time in the word. We have not understood and known. And so our mind has not been transformed to the image of Christ. Thus, we will not, through our choice, mix faith with those truths. And it blocks us from showing the glory of God or the gifts of God, the grace of God in our body. This is the message for today. The people of God with this shaking of COVID-19 and coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, it, 
it's brought and allowed by God. It's not brought by God, but it's allowed by God to cause us to begin to work on renewing ourselves to transformation because the time is short and the church in these earthen vessels has got to reveal the glory of God to his chosen people. Now, I'm calling on you the best I know how. Spend time in the word. Believe God. Have faith in God and begin to release faith in your life for the things that the word of God promises and you will see it come to pass. I want to share one more thing with you. Many people have read Revelation. They read Revelation and even the teachers of the Bible have different ideas of what it means. Well, we're in it. So I want to explain something to you that was given to me by the Spirit of God and it'll help you out. Revelation is written much like the Old Testament. It's written so that it can't be understood until the time. All the prophets prophesied of Jesus, but they couldn't have been too, it couldn't have been too easy to figure out or they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. Revelation is written in that manner. It's written somewhat veiled except by the Holy Spirit so that when we are in the times, it's revealed by the Spirit. So don't fret if you don't understand everything about the book of Revelation because when these things come to pass, those who have the Spirit of God will begin to see them and the preachers and prophets that have given that office to reveal those things will begin to preach them and they'll begin to make sense. So I want to tell you, take heart. Bind yourself to the Word of God and be at work be renewing yourself unto transformation. That's our job as long as we're in the flesh. Because if we're renewing unto transformation, then by faith we will show forth the image of God. Jesus bore our image so we could take on his. So that we would be conformed to his image. He was in a flesh body and did mighty works. That's the call to the church for today. Go forth and do the works of Christ. I hope you have a great day, and may the love of God go with you. If I don't see you again, or if I haven't seen you yet, I'll see you in heaven.